0: This episode of the Voices of Victor's podcast is brought to you by the University of Michigan Credit Union, the official auto loan provider of the Alumni Association of the University of Michigan. Go farther with UMCU. Auto loans new to UMCU have low rates that let you cover more ground for less. Visit umcu.org today. Insured by NCUA. From the Alumni Association of the University of Michigan, this is the Voices of Victor's podcast amplifying the voices of the maize and blue, and keeping you connected to your fellow alumni. In this episode, we'll talk about professors. There's no doubt you had a favorite professor at the University of Michigan, and maybe an elective or two you regretted. But if you've spent some time in Ann Arbor, you know it's a rewarding experience. Sometimes that connection that you make with a professor is right in your major. Sometimes you find them in a course that you may not even have wanted to take. And in one story we're going to share... Sometimes, a professor can save your life. Also in this episode, we'll highlight some virtual events coming up where you can connect with your fellow alumni. But right now, it's time for Guess That Grad. Which U of M graduate broke baseball's color barrier by recruiting Jackie Robinson to play for the Brooklyn Dodgers? Think you know the answer? We'll have it for you soon. As read by Reese, our first story finds an engineering student who learned to love the humanities.
1: Over the past 25 years, my family and I have found a treasured refuge in Ann Arbor's Gallup Park, home to playgrounds, a boat livery, picnic areas, and walking paths. And as I more recently discovered, it's the location of a bench that memorializes one of my favorite U of M professors, Robert P. Weeks. In 1978, when I entered the College of Engineering, I was excited to study important subjects beginning with prerequisites in advanced math, chemistry, and physics, and on to engineering courses that would eventually lead to a well-paying job. As someone with a deep-seated aversion to English classes, I was annoyed by the seemingly pointless graduation requirement of completing four semesters of humanities. As good fortune would have it, first semester of freshman year, I landed in Professor Weeks's section of Humanities 101, I recall reading Homer's The Iliad, passages from the Old and New Testament, works by Sophocles and Plato, and Chaucer's The Canterbury Tales. I spent hours wrestling with the meaning of the assigned text. I cared little about my grade. My main goal was to contribute an idea, observation, or interpretation that would capture Professor Weeks's attention. His enthusiasm for literature was only mildly contagious— What endeared him to my peers and me was his appreciation of his students. We had no new insights, no startling revelations, no compelling arguments to insert into the classroom discourse. But Professor Weeks made us feel like we might. Fast forward to the second semester of my junior year, when I needed to finish my humanities requirements. Scanning the catalog for possible options, I noticed a class titled Great Books. The course description included a long list of authors to be explored. This gave me pause. However, because Professor Weeks would be leading the battle, I decided to enlist. That semester, we read four novels, Catch-22 by Joseph Heller, The Sound and the Fury by William Faulkner, The Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man by James Joyce, and The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. We also read shorter works by 21 other authors. I can revisit the complete lineup by perusing the textbook that we used. My cherished copy still contains underlined passages, notes in the margins, and highlighted vocabulary words that I needed to look up. Contemplating this reading list is somewhat overwhelming not only because we covered an impressive expanse of literary ground, but also because I know the extent to which those few fleeting months of bookish immersion influenced the next four decades of my life. Unwittingly, Professor Weeks ignited my still-burning love of reading and books of all genres. In my view, he exhibited the most important qualities of an effective educator— He enjoyed his subject matter, loved teaching, and was excited by his students. His engaging and often humorous lectures provided background about the author's lives and interpretations of their works. In contrast, however, after delivering a particularly comprehensive analysis and gathering our impressions, he might end by politely expressing the idea that the notable critics, and even he himself, were quite possibly full of shit. If ever I had a professor that didn't take himself too seriously, it was Professor Weeks. In addition to learning about the authors that semester, we studied the craft of writing, covering topics such as point of view, character development, and symbolism. Near the end of this semester, we received the horrifying assignment of writing our own short story. Despite my earnest and concerted efforts, my story stunk, and I knew it. I could either receive a zero or reveal my ineptitude by handing it in. I swallowed my pride and wincingly left the poisonous final draft among a stack of submissions on Professor Weeks's desk. The one thing that lessened the sting of humiliation is that Professor Weeks didn't seem bothered by our feeble attempts at fiction. I imagine he was used to the lackluster output of most engineers. He distributed copies of two of the better attempts and went over their strengths with us. It was instructive in ways that studying the works of the prose had not been. In an odd way, Professor Weeks freed me from my own self-imposed limitations by showing me that it didn't matter if I was a slow reader, unremarkable reviewer, or below-average writer. What did matter was that I was thoroughly enjoying an English class for the first time in my life. I long regretted failing to convey my heartfelt thanks to my beloved humanities professor and cluing him in to the extent of his influence. I remember the last time we parted ways. Then in graduate school, I ran into him ascending the stairs of what was then the East Engineering Building. He asked me what I'd been up to. I told him I was working on my master's degree, apologetically explaining that I was taking an extra semester since I'd recently gotten married. Did you marry the young man that I always used to see you with after class, he asked, referring to my high school sweetheart. No, I replied. I'm married to Andy Seidel. He took your great books class last fall after my glowing recommendation. Hmm, he shrugged. He seemed by turns surprised, then slightly disappointed, then thoroughly pleased. Something about his chuckle as he continued on down the steps let me know. It was all good.
0: Carol A. Seidel, class of 82, master's 84, is a serial software entrepreneur, blogger, freelance writer, and translator, and mother. She also holds a master's in French. And now let's return to Guess That Grad. To refresh your memory, which U of M graduate broke baseball's color barrier by recruiting Jackie Robinson to play for the Brooklyn Dodgers? The answer, Branch Rickey, class of 1911. Branch Rickey was a great major league baseball player in his own right, and moved on to becoming a sports executive. In addition to breaking Major League Baseball's color barrier by signing Jackie Robinson, he also created the framework for the modern minor league farm system. He was posthumously elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1967. Chances are, most alumni connected with a professor who enriched their life in some way. But in this next story, a professor actually saved a life. As read by Reese, we'll learn the story of a professor, a student, and a life-saving friendship.
1: Many U of M alumni remember a professor who helped shape their future, but very few can say a professor saved their life. During my freshman year in the residential college, I loved the small classes and the opportunity to delve deep into the arts and social sciences. The classes were small and engaging, but very demanding. If you did not come to each class prepared, it was difficult to keep up. But soon I saw my peers passing me by while I fell asleep with my face pressed into my Spanish textbook. Eventually, my days were constructed solely around taking power naps. Not only was I tired, I could barely concentrate. My thought process was muddled, and menial tasks simply exhausted me. I was miserable and felt a great void separating me intellectually from other students, and especially my professors. It was not until a routine doctor appointment that I discovered the reason for my problem. I had end-stage renal disease, with approximately 7% kidney function remaining. A rare autoimmune disease ravaged my body and scarred my kidneys so badly they were rendered useless. I was not falling behind my class intellectually. I was dying. The professors that I confided in encouraged me to talk to Warren Hecht, the assistant director of academic services. A terrifying prospect. To me, he had an ominous presence that was greatly intimidating. So I avoided him, as well as the topic of my illness. But one day, Warren, having heard about my illness through the grapevine, caught me walking through the foreign language hall in East Quad. I attempted to hedge deep conversation and made light of the subject because the idea of falling behind in school or leaving campus while I went through the organ donation evaluation process was not an option. Finally, he blurted out that I was going to die if I kept going at full speed, and he did not want that to happen. I was beyond floored. His words were filled with emotion, and his eyes mirrored my well-hidden fears. So began our friendship. I ultimately made the decision to finish out the academic term. I knew classes would keep me busy and distracted from my illness. Warren met with me twice a week, which kept me grounded and reminded me that I made a difference in this world despite the fact that I was the most unconventional student I knew. It helped me look forward to the future with courage that would have been impossible to muster on my own. Of course, my parents were devastated, and as the term wound down, the doctors told me that my mother was a suitable kidney donor match. So as other students went home after finals to relax for the summer, I prepared for major surgery. Luckily for us, our surgeries went extremely well, and I made it back from summer vacation with everyone else. One consequence of the illness was that I failed my Spanish proficiency exam, not a great surprise, when I could barely stay awake. But when I returned to campus, I took the exam again and passed. Results were posted over a long weekend, and Warren made a point to call my parents' house to let me know. Although I was getting back on track, the next three years were filled with operations, doctor's appointments, and late-night emergency room visits. My transplant and care was at the university hospital, so I could just walk there between classes. Some days, I left the emergency room to make my 9 a.m. chemistry class. Other students rolled in talking about last night's party, while I came prepared because I studied from a hospital gurney into the wee hours of the morning. School was by no means easy, but it was a rewarding challenge. The most important part, though, was that Warren— was always an email or office visit away. In a university as large as U of M, I had a name and a story. I was much more than a number or tuition check. Not only did I graduate in four years with a double major in the residential college, I did so at the top of my class. I was not sure of my life trajectory, but I knew I had a lot of experience to offer. I then went on to earn my master's degree in social work from the university, where I was the student convocation speaker. My friendship with Warren never fell victim to our fast-paced lives. In fact, Warren, a deacon in the Roman Catholic Church, officiated my wedding ceremony. Whenever I recollect on my time at the university, I realize how truly blessed my life has been. That time gave me the greatest gifts a person could ask for an amazing education, lifelong friendships, and miraculously enough, a second chance at life.
0: Sarah Scantambrulo, class of 01, master's 03, is a psychiatric physician assistant and pursuing her PhD. She resides in Novi, Michigan, with her sparty husband and two young sons. She has had three kidney transplants, and her children were born through surrogacy at U of M. Want to get connected with your fellow alumni? You can do it at these upcoming virtual events. On April 14th, the U of M Club of New York presents Boss Up, developing an entrepreneurial mindset in the workplace. This event is led by expert Kelly Wingo. She's the founder, chief vision, and strategy officer of KMW Catalyst. Kelly is a graduate of the University of Michigan, and her writing can be seen in Forbes, CEO World, Thrive Global, and many others. This is a webinar to help you get more out of your 9-to-5 side hustle and beyond. A lead Scholarship Fund donation would be appreciated. On April 20th, join the Alumni Association of the University of Michigan and learn how to negotiate and choose the right job offer. Choosing a job offer is a complex decision. There are personal and professional factors that have to be taken into account, all while trying to make sense of what the company is presenting to you. In this session, you'll learn how to understand your market value, how to optimize your recruiting for career success rather than simply employment, and how to understand your leverage in an offer negotiation. Register now for these and other upcoming virtual events at our website, alumni.umich.edu events. The Alumni Association of the University of Michigan provides connection and community for you and your fellow alumni. Have you become a member? We invite you to do so. Visit our website at alumni.umich.edu. We're using this platform to amplify the voices of alumni everywhere and tell their stories. If you like what you heard, give this podcast a rating and review and hit the subscribe button. Or ask your smart speaker to play the Voices of Victor's podcast. Until next time, wherever you go, go blue.